Okay, welcome back then, Fastship Performance. Today's podcast is on leadership, but it's interesting, all right? Stick with it. It's a good, fun podcast. All right, welcome back then, guys. Uh, Tim Davies, Fastship Performance. I'm going to speak to you today about leadership because I've had an email written into me, and this email was sent on the 25th of February. So I'm already late with it by about three and a bit weeks, and uh, which means I am behind as I normally am, but not this far behind. And this chap's um, written to me again, just saying, did I ever get round to looking at your email? And I was like, I didn't, but I now have. In fact, I do remember reading this the first time it came out. It's about leadership. Now, this young guy, he's 19 years old. He's about to go into an off- initial officer training at Cranwell. He's asking me for some advice about leadership, and I understand what he's saying because um, I've had very similar experiences to him. So I'm going to use some of my examples. I also spoke to the commandant of 3FTS, a guy called Group Captain Eugene Moriarty, recently uh, down at Marham as I was seeing the tornado out. He's a great guy. Uh, I've got some information as well about that. So um, I might um, I might speak about that a little bit as well at the end. Okay, so I'm going to give you some uh, top tips. I've got a tea on the burn here, as it were. There you go, tea on the go. That's my Fast Jet Performance mug. This is for YouTube. Obviously, this is mainly a podcast so hopefully you're listening to me in your cars, maximizing your learning experience. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, obviously I'm prioritizing the audio guys, so I'm just put the camera up there anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm going to read you the email. I'm going to comment during the email a little bit, and then I'm going to come at the very end, and I'm going to give you uh, my take on all this. So he starts, right, hi Tim, hope you're well. I've been in touch with you on Facebook a few times over the last year or two to pester you for little bits of advice with regards to CBAT and OESC, thanks for the help. I was hoping for a bit of advice if and when you get the chance and thought I'd make it make sense to email you as my questions perhaps more drawn out. Like a few others have mentioned in your recent podcast, feel free to share my email on Facebook or YouTube if you feel it might help other guys and girls in a similar situation. Legend, thank you for that because it will help. So he says, I'm currently waiting to start IoT in May as a pilot and completed my family, uh, sorry, familiarization visit last week. In fact, I resat the fitness test after originally failing it. Um, so I can do a press-ups a week prior and injuring myself in the process. All is now good, however, and I'm awaiting my formal offer of service alongside the rest of the guys waiting to start in March and May. Of course, you've spent years as a leader and know many in the military and civilian worlds. In between IOT and EFT, that's initial officer training and elementary flying training, I will be looking most likely at two years minimum of holding. God. Uh, and really want to gain as much experience as I can in leadership to give myself a foundation for the future. But hopefully one day I may be I may be in charge of a flight or even a squadron. I've currently just turned 19 and been a restaurant supervisor since August last year, so I've been fairly lucky to gain my current experience. There's no doubt that it was a big influence in the selection board's decision to take me on at such a young age. Before becoming a supervisor, I had been and still am friends with all of my colleagues and effectively became their manager in the space of a day. I found this quite a difficult transition and still often question myself when making decisions that involve giving orders or instructions to certain members of my team. I find it quite tricky to find the divide between being a manager and being a friend. Of course, if I'm completely authoritarian, I can't expect to gain any respect. And on the other hand, if I'm everyone's best friend on shift, then I'll find myself ineffective and unable to be taken seriously. Do you have any advice to find the middle ground or is this something that just generally comes with experience? My managerial colleagues are generally quite laissez-faire, and as such, it can be quite difficult to get things done with urgency. This has led to the team becoming toxic when I effectively try to give them a kick up the ass, uh, as they have been used to a very chilled working environment. I find I have little 
stance in acting as an authoritative figure. I try to lead by example and can often jump in to help out and act as a team motivator. But when people aren't giving their full effort, when I attempt to correct such behaviours, I feel I'm often met with hostility or lip service slash dismissal. At any point in my RF career, I may be put in charge of many high-ranking NCAs and other colleagues who have served for a great deal of time, who may not meet kindly to the fact that they are under the command of what seems a chippy 19-year-old with six months' experience at Cranwell. Perhaps that sounds rather cynical, but I presume you understand my conundrum either way. Apologies for dragging this email out, but in short, your advice on how one should develop their leadership approach to both gain the respect of experienced subordinates and achieve task-bound objectives at the same time would be much appreciated. I've seen super authoritarian managers fail straight away, but at the same time, I've seen other managers be completely walked over. I'd like to figure out how to find a middle ground. Once again, thanks in advance for any advice you may have and for the help in the past. I've just finished uh, the long drawn out selection process to be a pilot, so feel free to forward my emails on the guys, girls that are applying at the moment. Uh, I know the process is constantly changing, so I should have some fairly current advice. And that's really kind of him, actually, and that's what I say to people is we're sharing the love here, guys. I'm going to put a lot of content on Patreon soon, um, and I am going to have to um, get remunerated for it. So I think I'm going to do something like $12 a month. That seems like an average charge. Uh, it's about eight quid, right? And the reason I'm doing that is because this stuff that I'm doing takes a lot of time. So um, this stuff I'm going to try and keep... Uh, all free, put it on Facebook, everything else. But when I deep dive into things where I need to go and travel to sit down with someone and, and talk to them or interview them, I'm going to have to put that on Patreon only because um, fuel costs money and stuff, right? And I don't want to whack a whole world of uh, um, ads and stuff like this on, on a podcast because that's not right. Anyway, this guy's written to me. Thank you for doing so. I can help you out. Uh, I will talk about leadership and I will especially try and concentrate on leadership uh, in a bunch of people that were your friends, they were your colleagues, and all of a sudden you find that you're their, their leader or their manager. Very similar situation to myself, actually. I'm just going to drop back uh, a little bit. When I was on um, 4 Squadron, uh, I went from 208 Squadron, which is Hawk T1, which is on a wall there, Hawk T1. That's actually a 19 Squadron jet, but same jet. Uh, and I went on to, went to Afghanistan for six months uh, after I was promoted to Squadron Leader. When I came back, I went on to this jet. My goodness, that's never going to work, is it, on the podcast, on the YouTube? Sorry, there you go this jet here which is the Hawk T2 and I led some of the men uh, and it was just men actually I was leading at the time uh, some of the men who were my contemporaries on 28 Squadron so still good friends of mine actually all over the world now teaching still flying a lot of them uh, and teaching uh, some of them have gone into business development that kind of stuff you know whatever that really means but um, I keep in contact with them which must have meant I did something kind of right and I want to tell you what that is in a minute uh, as far as I see it so going back into the email this young guy talks about uh, the fact he's going to have to come out of IoT and hold before elementary flying training. So he's going to go to Cranwell and Royal Air Force College at Cranwell to learn to become an officer. And those six months, he will be given a lot of tips and, and everything else to, to do that. And then, of course, he comes out uh, and then he's got this two year, which, you know, I'm not a fan of this, by the way. I think I think people really need to especially in the Ministry of Defence, by the way, not so much the Air Force, but in the Ministry of Defence really need to think about what they've done um, to have people in flying training uh, for that length of time not flying, just just holding. We need these people to be on the front line, like, now, young, because that's the way that the frontline squadrons work. They work hard and overseas the whole time. You don't want people joining when they're late 20s, early 30s, and then wanting to have families and stuff. It doesn't work. You need them on there now. And it's taken seven years to get a fast jet guy to the front line. That That's wrong. That needs... Um, and someone needs to step up and do something about that. Right. However, interestingly, I was speaking to um, the officer commanding three FTS, Flying Training School, 
which do all the elementary flying training. I believe they do uh, all the university air squadrons and they do gliding and probably some other stuff I've missed out. And I do apologize if I have missed that. And he's a guy, he's a group captain called Eugene Moriarty. If you're in the flying training system, you'll probably know of him because he was the boss at 208 Squadron when I was there going back into 2007, I think it was, something like that. Um, lovely guy, actually, really lovely guy. And I was chatting to him about these holds. And of course, there's not much the service can really do about these holds because they're there already. Uh, okay, there are some things, but they're, they're done at a very senior level. And the Ministry of Defence, really, that's where the, the problems, I think, um, especially with the United Kingdom military flying training system, those were the issues with SDSRs and all those other reviews that, um, that that changed a lot of the dynamic. And that's why, unfortunately, we have these holds as they are. Either way, someone needs to grip it because if I was a student in flying training, I'd be pretty demotivated, to be honest with you. Um, because of holding for three years. Now, he is aware of these holds that people come out of IOT. And what he does, uh, this is this is Officer Commanding uh, 3FTS, is he tries to get people still interested in aviation because they are pilots, they're just in the holding scheme, tries to get them uh, flying, holding on flying squadrons, that kind of thing, if he can. So every likelihood that when you do come out of IOT, you'll probably find yourself holding on a squadron. And on four squadron, we did have guys that held with us and they got a lot of flying. They got a lot of flying. I'm not saying that's the best thing, by the way, um, because you're going to be in flying training for a long time anyway. So maybe go out and uh, and have a look at the rest of the Air Force. When I went out to Afghanistan, and this is why I used to say to my team, get yourself out to theatre, go and see the war effort. When you land uh, in one of these big bases, you see like Kandahar, Bastion, whatever, you see the power of the Air Force. And if you just go into flying training and you sit there and then you come out as a pilot and then you go on the front line, it becomes very myopic. You don't really see the whole um, involvement of the service as a whole. So what I would say, and I know he hasn't asked for advice here, we're talking about leadership, but when he's on these holds, if anyone's listening and about to go into uh, the Air Force or the Navy or the Army, and you look like you are going to be doing some holding, go and find the most dynamic or kinetic, if you can get out there where, where there's um, shots being fired, but go and educate yourself early on about what the, the service does in a broad spectrum um, of its capability. That's what I do. Didn't ask me that. Information from free. That's for free. Thank me later. No worries. Uh, always bringing value. Right. So what would I say then about the leadership? Because the main question here, as this young guy says, is he's trying to find the balance. Um, I was going to do a podcast later, and I don't know whether to combine it with this one, but seeing as we're halfway through, I think I'm going to do that other podcast later. And I want to talk to you about something called bracketing. It's an air combat term. Bracketing is where you literally go either side of a hostile, and what you're doing there is you're forcing them to commit. But it's another good way of uh, actually working out what your left and right of arc is, as it were. So let me use an example for that. So let's have a think. Uh, yesterday I was at a design meeting, a very high-level design meeting with Aerolis. Uh, we were looking at design features for the A variant, which is um, the one that is the advanced variant. So it's what the Hawk T2, in effect, is. Uh, and there were some there were some lines uh, down the side, and they're to do with the aerodynamics. And we were talking about uh, aspects of that and what we're going to do: leading edge route extensions, and how's the canopy design going to be made. And so, left and right of arc, I said, right, okay, let's go right of arc when we're talking about the canopy, and then let's go left of arc. So left of arc is a is a clear canopy like the Hawk T2. Right of arc is a, a completely um, a canopy that you cannot see out of. Where are we going to go in the middle? You know, are we going to have some kind of gradient, some, some tinting? Uh, is it going to have a blast shield in it? In the middle is where we're going to be thinking here, isn't it? Because left of arc, literally, we have the same canopy as a Hawk T2. And the right of arc, we have um, something that is something that is obviously more futuristic. Because, of course, what we're doing with Aerolis is, is, um, is the sixth generation, in effect, of fast jet flying training. Uh, so 
that's what I'm talking about when it comes to bracketing. And what I'm saying to this young guy here is you've got the same thing when it comes to your leadership. Now, and we'll cover that now real quick. So when it comes to your leadership, you can be authoritarian. And sometimes that's very necessary. And I'll give you an example why that is now. Uh, other side, of course, you can be like the David Brent character, can't you? You know, you get walked over the whole time. Everybody's friend. What you're trying to find is somewhere in the middle. And that has to be somewhere that's comfortable. I would always say that it's not going to be comfortable initially, of course. Of course it won't be because it'd be new. Uh, but it will eventually become comfortable the more you do it. Now, a right of arc, so a very authoritarian leader, not necessarily that is, a, that is a bad thing, by the way. It's not necessarily a bad thing because in times of crisis, you need this. So, for example, if you think about a submarine captain or, or a warship uh, captain, of course, when they have a fire on board, especially on a submarine, that's like the worst thing you could ever have. Um, they've got to send men, uh, women as well, down the back end of that sub. They've got to put them into compartments and they've got to seal the door. And so uh, a captain at that point, Needs, his authority needs to not be challenged. He needs to probably send people to their death in order to save the rest of the people on the ship. Uh, and when I was in the Navy, that most certainly was practiced, um, regular, regular occurrence. And what you do is you literally would put people into a hatch, you'd seal the hatch down, and hopefully they'd, they'd get rid of the fire and if they, or, the, or the flood. And if they didn't, then they would die, uh, which is how it was. But that part of the, 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 the ship then would flood and then hopefully we protected the rest of the ship from it and we could carry on fighting that emergency as we see fit. So that's the authoritarian leadership stance right there that's your one that's your right of arc let's say your left of arc now is your david brent figure you know he's um chilled out entertainer isn't he he's everybody's friend no one respects him he doesn't really respect himself probably he doesn't really know what he's doing uh and he's a, more of a manager now than a leader now there is a place for management and there is a place for leadership as well so one thing i would say to you here is really kind of have to think about what those two things are Management, especially when it comes into a military context, is, I would say, squaring away all the, uh, the fundamentals of what I would call the domestics of your men and women under your command. And what that means is you want to make sure, because people don't operate well when they are unsure of something. So you have to give them uh, what I call boundaries and a direction. Before you do that, before you give them that guidance, you've got to make sure that their emotional health is being satisfied. So by doing that, predictability is a is a huge key for these people as it was for me you need to, and this is the problem with flying training sometimes because you don't know always what trip you're flying the next day and it can be very unsettling but um especially for the students obviously the staff you've got to teach them it's, it's unsettling too to be honest with you and i'd, I'd love that to uh, that to change but what you need to know when you when you're being led by someone really is what you're expected to do in order to do that you need to know when you need to be in work and when you need to leave that's really important uh, and we can go into deep detail about people staying late at work if you want to and the problems within that we may touch on that later but um you need to know you know for example that you're going to get lunch and you you know you're going to be able to use a gym or whatever it is so you, your foundational element of your team needs to be satisfied now you can do that two ways you can ask them are you happy in what you're doing and if they just talk about um, the way they're being led and everything then you can pretty much take it that everything else is, is satisfactory for them if they start complaining about, well, I don't know when I can take lunch and I can't get to the post office to post uh, my mum's birthday card. And, you know, you had me in at seven o'clock this morning, but um, I came in at like 6.30. No one ever noticed all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's then that's your managerial side of things. You need to square that away. A way you can do that is chatting to other people within that that chain. And on, um, on Four Squadron, when I was a flight commander, uh, when I was running the tactical weapons flight, which is B flight, I had a guy called Rich who's running A flight and a guy called Rob running C flight. Uh, and Rob now is the boss of Four Squadron, and we used to sit there under the boss, and we used to talk about this, about the squadron. Um, we used to talk about the, 
Are, you know, are we looking after the team and the students? Are they, are they satisfied so that they can function? So you need to give them that foundational bedrock of, of um, attention, in effect, is what it is, uh, so that they can function. Now, now we've got people that can function, but they're not probably inspired. They're not probably led. They're just coming to work, nine o'clock, flying twice. I'm using the flying context, guys. Um, let's put it into the restaurant experience. I don't know much about the restaurants. I've seen Gordon Ramsay's program. I know everything, don't I? Um, so they're probably coming to work. Uh, they're doing their shift. They're doing the waitering or, or the, the, the chefing or whatever it might be. Um, they're getting some lunch and they're going home again. And they're probably coming in on time and going home on time. And actually, the, the quality of their work isn't that good. Um, and that's where the leadership makes a difference. So you've got them working. That's fine. The restaurant's chugging along. But no one's smiling. You know, the attention of the staff is poor. Uh, all these things are, are, are to do with leadership. Now, as he says, when he comes out of Cranwell, he's going to be put in charge of some high-ranking NCOs. <clears throat> and I would say, yes, you will, probably. And you'll only be, what, 20 years old with six months' experience. And that NCO is going to look at you and he's going to be like, what can you teach me? Well, the key is at the moment, probably very little. But what you can do is you can ask him for advice or her for advice. And that's what I tend to do. Uh, I always do that. I always try and find a mentor above or beneath me, someone that really knows what they're doing. There was a great guy at Valley, um, still keep in touch with him, not as much as I should, actually. And I used to go to him. He's with a sense staff, actually. Uh, one of the programmers, a uh, good, good friend of mine. And I would go to him and I would literally sit down with him and just chat stuff through. And he would give me advice because he was a sergeant in the military uh, before he left and obviously went to Ascent and then did some programming on, on Force Squadron. And I'd say to him, uh, I'd say, am I doing the right thing here? And of course, he would give me that advice that only a sergeant who's been in the Air Force for 20 odd years can, can give. And you should appeal to these people. that They're there for a reason. When you go through Sandhurst, for example, and you come out the other end after a year uh, and you go and do something called PCBC, which is Platoon Commander's Battle Course. It may well have changed now. I don't know. I'm just sort of friends in the Army or have been in the Army. Um, you come back, of course, and you start running a platoon. Platoon is about 30 people. It's got three sections broken down into five sections. You might have had some ancillary support, whatever, and three platoons make up a company, et cetera, et cetera. Each platoon's got a young lieutenant on it, and each platoon has a sergeant. Uh, it could be a staff sergeant. I don't know, to be honest, but they have a senior guy in, the, in that platoon. Now, the platoon is really run by that senior NCO. We all know that. The young lieutenant knows that as well. And it's that senior NCO's responsibility to kind of train that lieutenant until that lieutenant gets to the point where he's able to run the platoon. That should make sense. So don't neglect that. If you were to neglect those senior NCOs, they're senior NCOs for a reason, by the way, um, because they're very good at doing what they do. So that's why they get promoted. And they've come from the same place where they've all been corporals together and then one of them get, becomes a sergeant. And what you normally do on promotion is you move them onto another squadron because you don't want what's, you don't want happening, what's happening to this guy where, and what happened to me in effect where I went from 2-8 squadron to 4 squadron and I, I became commander as a flight commander of all the guys that I was serving with on 2-8 squadron. That is difficult. You're always going to get tensions, by the way. Um, but I'm in contact with all those guys now, apart from a couple. And that really, the reason I'm not in, in, in charge of a couple, there's always going to be people that uh, don't want to get promoted. And when you do get promoted, that will be a real hassle to them. They, will, they won't like that at all. Uh, but then they would never have done it themselves. They didn't want the responsibility. They just want to chip away at you. Uh, the other thing I would say as well, as a, a manager, you need to suck that up as a leader. That's uh, your responsibility to deal with that. No one else's. Um, and you will, if you think about it as well, say you're running 20 guys. Uh, you're a leader in the Air Force, whatever. You've got 20 guys. Those 20 guys, the problem that each one of those 20 guys has is their leader, is their manager, is me. Let's pretend it's my flight. So 
if I'm restricting their leave or uh, for some reason or whatever, or I'm making their day difficult or I'm asking them to stay late and fly again, or I want them to do a sim, but then out of that sim straight away, I want to get in the jet, I need you to do that thing, I need you to skip lunch. That Every one of those teams has that one person that they have a problem with. So that, that's me. That's me. So all of my 20 guys will have a relationship with that one person above them, which is me. That's the person I can make their life better or worse. And I can do that by um, being negligent or I can do it by, uh, you know, through the necessity because I have to, because it's directed out the boss and the boss has obviously got the big strategic picture. But as a manager, I've got 20 problems. And this is why we have to be quite delicate of managers and leaders and try and give them the space to perform. Because if we're all chipping away at these people, you've got 20 people chipping away and you're like, guys, I'm juggling stuff here. I literally am trying to do the best I can for you. If you're a leader, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you've got these other 20 people doing all this, reverse it. You see what I'm saying? So you, you kind of have to be respectful of each other. Uh, and in the Air Force, I believe that's called um, followership, uh, which is worth looking up. I'm just going to take some tea. And in my fast ship performance mug, these are not for sale, but if they were for sale, um, I'd charge you a fortune. I wouldn't. I might actually, when I go on Patreon with these mugs, guys, on the podcast, I'm literally putting a mug in front of a camera. It's got a picture of that little guy in a flight suit you see on, on Facebook, and it's got Fast Ship Performance written underneath it. Uh, we need to find a slogan to go on there, don't we? Something like, um, who was telling me the other day, they kept hearing me say, factually correct statement. Ah, oh, God. So um, we could put that on the bottom, couldn't we? FCS. Uh, yeah, on Patreon, maybe every month I'll give someone a mug uh, for like the best email or something, or best comment or something like that, you know? So that's what I'm saying. We need to give each other space, whether you're that manager or whether you're the person being managed. We need to make sure we know where our boundaries are. And that's the key here is what I'm saying. When you looked after the foundational and the welfare of your men, and in the army, that's very basic. You, The first thing you do, if I remember this correctly, is you look after um, your weapon, then your feet, then your food, then your sleep. Is that the right order? Someone in the army will come and correct me now. That sounds like the right order because, of course... You have to be able to fight before anything else. Sleep's always the one that you can go without. And so um, you obviously keep your weapon clean. Your feet, you let your feet, oh, your feet, you've got to sort your feet out. That is poor avenue if you let those go. And then, of course, um, get some scram down your Gregory Peck, as they said, some food down your neck, and then uh, get some sleep, catch some Zeds, go to Schlafen land. So what I'm saying is those, those are your fundamentals. You have to make sure that your men, if you're in the army, get those fundamentals, square that away. The rest of the leadership is is everything else of course that's above that so that's your managerial slash your leadership so boundaries and direction is what I made sure my team always had and sometimes uh, that can be a little bit difficult especially when things change and you've said you've taken the direction from the boss uh, and as a three flight commanders we all will take that and we say okay let's go and tell our flights that and we get together with the flights and we'd sit them down and say right guys this is what the boss wants so let's Break that down a little bit to be about to be about how we can affect that boss's strategy. Uh, we did that right, good. That's the direction we're going to go in this week. And these are your left and right of arcs. I call those boundaries. And what people want at work, this is I I will say this over and over and over again. They just want to know the boundaries and they just want to know what direction they have to go in. Um, so really, by that, what I mean is with boundaries. Let's have a look in the waitressing business i don't know much about restaurants that's probably not a great example um well let's say that you're a waiter in that restaurant the guy's talking about you know you want to know uh 
you know, where you, when you've got to be on the shop floor the whole time, I suppose, doing the waiting bit, when you need to be at the kitchen, so when you're supposed to be doing those two things, and really what the kind of focus of the restaurant is, that's your direction, really. It's like, you know, we, we want to be a happy, bouncy team that engages with the customers straight away, um, all that kind of stuff. Boundaries, direction, probably quite a poor example, actually. It would have been fine to give you, better to give you a flying analogy, and I'll do that next time, sorry. Tear myself up. So going back to the email then. 19 years old, getting into the Royal Air Force. Not easy to do, actually. He's done well there, so clap, clap. There you go. Uh, very well. Taking this apart from the top, then again, guys, I can't answer you about CBATs. I don't know anything about that at all. OSC, again, you can find out on the student rooms online. If you Google the student rooms, OSC, it tells you everything about that. Um, sort his fizz out. And yes, he will be put in charge of things when he comes out of, uh, out of, out of Cranwell. And as I said, the best thing you can do really is ask advice from the most senior NCO there. And you can be open as well. So what's that called? We know this. It's called humility, isn't it? So one of the things you do is, as a leader, is you you need to be humble, all right? Um, I always would try and credit my men over me because it obviously was actually their work anyway a lot of the time because that's what they're doing there. So you need to get out of their way so they can perform as well. And the way you, you way you hamper their performance is by what's called long screwdrivering, if that makes sense. Um, and that's where something like a station commander would reach all the way into a squadron and he would tell uh, the programmers on the squadron how to program, for example. That's nothing to do, and I, know, I haven't seen that, I'm using that as an example. Um, that's nothing to do with the station commander, how, how we program people on the station. The station commander, you shouldn't care less about that. He should care about the output at the end. So um, that's what's called long screwdriving. Sometimes you'd see that from... Oh, God, let's have a look. So if you think about 22 Group, uh, you may get someone high up in 22 Group reaching into a squadron. We saw this a lot on 4, by the way. Crikey, when 4 first started, we get a lot of the um, 22 Group, which is a training group in the Royal Air Force, would direct into individuals to make sure they were doing things. That's not their responsibility at all. That's not their responsibility. They would direct into the station commander who would then direct into the, the boss of the squadron. The boss would then direct into a flight commander. The flight commander would then go to their team and then they would direct their team and that's how you affect that aim. Makes sense. So don't, don't long screwdriver into things. Um, try and embrace humility as much as you, as you can. I believe it was Sam Walton. Was he Walmart? I can't remember. Who said, outstanding leaders go out of their way to boost the self-esteem of their personnel. If people believe in themselves, it's amazing what they can accomplish. Uh, and I firmly believe that. You just need to allow people to achieve. If you start repressing them, they will just switch off. And I think that's what the guy's talking about here in his email, where he starts talking about a toxic working environment sometimes, especially when it's a bit authoritarian and that kind of stuff. As long as people know what their job entails, what is expected of them, generally they will do it they will really do it um you might have to come back and, and actually kind of you know make sure they fully understand their task but as long as the reason things don't get done in the workplace is because people don't understand what they need to do that's the key really so as long as you make sure that people and you can do that by questioning you can say what do you think you have to do today what are your what are your three key things and they say right i have to uh, make sure that i'm uh, listening out for the chef when he gets his dishes ready. I need to make sure that I uh, give menus to everyone sitting down. I need to do that within the first 60 seconds and I need to make sure I'm smiling the whole time and um, to uh, make sure the restaurant's going well. Brilliant, happy, crack on. If they don't know, if they don't know what they're supposed to do, of course, they're going to be confused. They're going to be a bit agitated. They're going to think you're not leading them properly and they're unsupported. Um, it's going to be a bit threaders and they're not going to work very well for you. So humility is the key there. Go out your way to help them and um, demonstrate what you want from them as well. You know, you demonstrate that punctuality, 
um, the uh, make sure you're tidy, you're well groomed, all that kind of stuff that you want from them. If you're putting someone out into that space, customer facing, demonstrate how they should be wearing their tie, how they should be wearing their jacket, everything else. Okay, that's the key. Listen to your people. There's another one there as well. Um, you don't always have to do this, by the way, by being out in front. Sometimes you can do this from being behind. Now, I have an issue with some people online at the moment. Actually, I haven't got an issue at all. What I'm saying is some, some commentators doing stuff like I'm doing. Uh, there was one guy, Jocko Willink, who I, I like. I'm not going to say I don't like him because the guy's massive, but he's an ex-Navy SEAL. He was talking about go, no-go items. And uh, he was saying that in his SEAL team, he only had a go-go item. Um, I think I spoke about this before a little bit. And what I'm saying is that that might be all well and good for him to have a go-go item. Like everything is a go. There's nothing, there's no no-go items. It's all go. But his team may feel a bit differently about that. Uh, and that's where that conversation has to take place prior to these things happening. And that's why you need to involve your team. You need to listen to your people. We would sit down as flight commanders uh, every week and we would uh, talk to our team. Our team, open door, they can always come to you. Um whenever they want of course but if you're if you're if you're empowering them properly and what i mean by empowerment is you set the direction you set the boundaries so you've messaged correctly you've looked after their foundational uh, welfare which we've spoken about uh, they shouldn't need to come and speak to you they shouldn't need because you'll basically go and do a review with them every week and you'll recalibrate as as you see fit and and that's to do with empowering people which means giving them the responsibility uh, to go out and do things. And whenever I had a problem with a boss, it was because we weren't empowered as individuals to um, to do the best for him uh, or her. Right, let's have a look. Um, I've written down here as well, trying to strike a balance. We're talking about striking a balance, really. Let's have a look whether we've got a decent quote that I've... Yeah, okay, so Norman Schwarzkopf said here, leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without the strategy. So what he's saying is, you know, have character. And I get this as well, which is why I get loads of um, sometimes some comments on my posts are a little bit kind of angry and stuff. But that's because I'm not sitting on the fence, right? Does that make sense? And that's to do with character. You've got to take a stand on something. You know how I feel about women in the military. Um, I'm very encouraging people to join. But I do, as you all know, think that um, I do believe men and women learn differently. And I'd like to see that. And it is going to be done, actually, in Aerolysis Flying Training, which I'm heavily involved in. Is we, we are going to incorporate both um, the learning uh, methods from men and women in the same flying training system. We're not, we're not separating these two strands. We're saying men and women learn differently. We understand that. We're combining all those elements into that one flying training system. But, you know, I, I, do, I don't sit on the fence. That's about character. And you're not going to please everyone. You're not going to please everyone. And the sooner you come to terms with that as a leader, by the way, the easier it's going to be for you. The easier it's going to be, just recognize the fact that even if you are the world's greatest leader, um, and sometimes what's a good thing to do is to uh, find someone in industry or, or in the military or someone you like and you know a lot about and you might have read their books. Take that picture of that person and just put it in your wallet, whatever, or put it by the mirror in the morning. So it's the first thing you look at. There's a guy I follow a lot called Mike Rowe, uh, R-O-W-E. I think I've spoken about him before. I have spoken about him before in one of the last podcasts. And I listen to what Mike Rowe says because I think he's a very humble individual and I want to emulate that as much as I can in the way that I deal with people, especially within Aerolists and, and, and everything else, especially with you guys. So I, I go, right, what's Mike saying at the moment? I listen to Mike and go, yeah, okay, great stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to try and take that on board. So, um, and that's the key really is to try and maybe emulate 
these kind of people and uh as i said strike a balance and uh the next one here and actually establish some kind of character that was wasn't it and then i've, I've written down challenges you know you need to be able to uh tackle challenges and you need to be able to be seen doing it not being that idiot that goes out of the way to look at me i'm doing this it should humble leadership i think they call it servant leadership as well is uh it's having integrity so it's, it's, it's doing what needs to be done even though no one's watching in effect you get it done just get the job done the same thing like working out i'm getting back into lifting again now only because i'm just putting a bit of weight on crikey if you leave the military oh, i'll talk about discipline later but um I don't really care how it makes me look. I care how it makes me think picking up those big weights. Uh, I'm not doing it for anyone else, doing it for myself. So when you look at challenges, <clears throat> challenges, right. I put down a quote here as well. I put down a few quotes. Um, Successful leaders see the opportunities in every difficulty rather than the difficulty in every opportunity. That's by Reed Markham. I don't know who that is actually. But you shouldn't be afraid as a leader to step out in front of everyone and go, you know what? I'm going to expose myself here. I did that with writing, didn't I, back in 2011, 2012, when I started writing about flying training. Oh, God, I got a load of hits for that. Don't get me wrong. Not hits as in good hits, as in spears in the chest. But I felt it was important to speak to the students openly and honestly about, about flying training and about the way the Air Force was going. And I still do that today. That's exactly what Fast Jet Performance is about. Uh, I exposed myself heavily. And I, I think I spoke recently. Um, and it's funny as well. I was seeing off the tornado last week, in fact. Was it last week? And I spoke to a lot of tornado mates down there. I've been out of the service now about six months and stuff. And of course, a lot of them do read what I write. They don't necessarily comment and they don't necessarily like what I write either. Quick tea, stand by. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm the guy, I just happen to be the guy that writes this stuff. So just put yourself out there. You may as well. You're going to be dead soon. No offense, you're not going to be dead soon. You're 19 years old. Right. Oh, hopefully you're not dead soon. Right. Uh, we talked about that. So that's about being bold as well, isn't it? That's about... That's about not being afraid to get out there and lead. That's the biggest problem with leadership, I find, sometimes, is it's not bold leadership. It's, I'm not going to name anyone here. I went down for an interview in London uh, about two or three years ago. It was to be the personal staff officer of a very, very senior uh, Air Force officer. And I'm a big fan of this guy, big fan. Very, very, he was about a year older than me, and he was an Air Commodore, and he's a very, very clever guy, doing very, very well. But for me, I hadn't heard much about this guy. He hadn't really been outside of London. So I said to him, are we going to get out of town at all? Are we going to get outside London? If I'm your PSO, are we going to sit in this building in Whitehall or whatever and, and not get out to the main operating bases and inspire the troops? And he said, no, we're going to stay in London because that's where the politics happens. Now, I get that. I understand that. But to me, that's not bold leadership. That's, that's, I'm not too sure what that is. I guess he's looking after the management side of things. and I understand it because that's probably very necessary for him to be there. But there's probably a lot of politics involved and... He doesn't want to be out the limelight. You know, he needs to go up his career ladder, and I get that. But I'd rather sacrifice an element of that and get out to the main operating bases and stand in front of the troops and take the spears and the questions from them and hopefully make their working life better. But that's what comes down to um, that servant leadership. It's being available for the people. I hope that that bit helped. Right. The last one I would, I would just say just briefly about that leadership management thing I've been asked here is um, you need to be able to teach your team something you need to be able to encourage and grow them because if you think about if you didn't do that uh what what interest you have in not furthering the ability of your team what you should be doing and this is what i always try to do uh is i also always try to get my team above my position that makes sense so as a squadron leader flight commander 
Um, I always try to look at guys in the team, and I only had men in, in the last team, uh, and I always, always try to say, right, how can I get these guys to be more than they think they can be, if that makes sense? So how can I uh, literally let these guys know that they, they're not limited in, in their capabilities? If they want to be a squadron leader, we can work a way of making that happen. If they want to be a flight commander, um, I can definitely do that for them. Uh, I can definitely, I can tell them what I did for a start, um, which which was kind of by accident in a way, but looking back on it, you know, I can I can talk them through that. Uh, there is a route that you can become promoted within the military. It's actually pretty simple. A lot of it is to show extra capacity. So you do your primary job very well, but then you do everything else. So you go and run, you know, and this is the pain, isn't it? But this is why you see a flight commander. To, to be a flight commander, you have to be a half decent pilot. It makes sense because you're not going to get chance to to just struggle in aviation if you're a flight commander. The flying needs to be second. And that's the problem that some of us had on Force Squadron when we came in as flight commanders um, with a brand new aeroplane, the Hawk T2, because it wasn't anything like the T1, uh, really, not just the flying, but the operating of it, because it had all the TV tabs and the screens and everything else, and MFDs, multifunction displays and everything. So you're learning this aeroplane and you're a flight commander and it's a high stress environment. So that was always difficult. But as a flight commander, you've got to be above average anyway as a pilot, just because you need to not have that as your main focus. You need the the welfare of your men. Uh, you need to be able to run the squadron and run your flight and everything else. So square away that skill set first. So I'd look into my flight and I'd, I literally ask them every time we had a, a, a report that we were doing, I'd say, look, what do you, we, we have this. We have a midterm and everything, midterm report. We say, this is pretty much what I'm going to write for you in your report in six months' time from what I'm seeing now. This is what we say to people in the midterm report. I'm going to write this. And you hand it to them and they read it. Uh, and they're like, oh, I'm not really happy with that. Okay, cool. So let's talk about what you're not happy with um, because this is what I see you doing at the moment. So, and they would say, well, actually, uh, I'd like a better report than this. I say, well, okay, well, that's cool. Um, let's get you some extra activities out there. Uh, let's, let's not drag this podcast out like I normally do. Where are we now? 37 minutes. Well, let's wrap it up three minutes, guys. Um, let's get you some extra duties out there that I can report you on. I hate to say it, but... You know, if, if I've got another guy on the flight and he's running the crash and he's running the bar and he's, he's running a marathon for charity and he's, you know, he's helping out the junior rates mess as well and he's doing his day job well and you're just doing your day job well, that doesn't show me that you've got extra capacity. It doesn't show me you've got spare capacity. And I need a flight commander to have that extra capacity. So you either want to be a flight commander or you don't want to be a flight commander, but you, you don't have to be if you don't want to be. Um, we're not an up and out system, not until you reach um, air rank anyway, but you know, uh, you can you can stay as a flight attendant forever. And a lot of guys were like, yep, happy to do that. I want to go permanent air crew or whatever they call it now. Uh, and they stay there as a flight attendant and they they go up the pay scale and it's a great existence for a lot of people. And it's a great scheme to be on. I turned it down because else I'd never left the military. I rejected that. And I wrote an essay about it, which Manning didn't like, of course, about, um, about being valued, wasn't it? Yeah, difficult time back then, actually. Why we shouldn't tell people they're valued unless they are actually valued, you know, uh, why pilots quit. I think the essay was called. So that's what I'm talking about is uh, in a leadership position, looking after your people. If they're not learning something and you, you should be saying to them, look, I know you're a waiter. Have you ever thought about chefing? Have you ever thought about managing restaurants? Have you ever thought about doing the job I'm doing? And you've got to get over yourself because not everyone wants a steal a job. Not everyone. OK, uh, a lot of people are quite happy, as I said, where they are. Uh, and if that if they're happy where they are, then it's absolutely fine. Let's accommodate that. All right, I'm more than happy with that. 
really, I don't want to get more into this. I was making sure I haven't actually missed anything out, guys. This is what I really wanted to talk about. So I would just say to this, this young guy, really embrace the learning you get at Cranwell. Not anyone, not everyone gets an opportunity. I didn't go to Cranwell, I went to Dartmouth, but I'm very, very proud of the fact that um, the Royal Navy let me in to their institution at Dartmouth uh, and they gave me an education. And a lot of that education, by the way, uh, was, was based, I feel, with hindsight, it may not be now, it may not be different now, of course, but um, I, I feel it was based on humility and, and servant leadership, which is what I've always tried to do. I think, I think I've tried to do that. Um, but you have to remember that you're not their friend. When you get promoted out of that crowd into a managerial leadership position above people, those friendships, unfortunately, are quite difficult to sustain. Let's not pretend otherwise. The, the key is to have a conversation with people and bring it out into the open and say, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm your manager now. I'm your boss. I have to task you to do things. Let's try and keep it just professional whilst we're in the workspace, whilst we're here, and then we'll go out for a beer later or something. Um, but you're right. If you start laughing and joking with people, you end up like a David Brent character in The Office that Ricky Gervais plays very well. And you see the problems with that. Uh, it's very ineffectual. And people don't like you, do they? You can see that. They, they don't respect you at all. And you've got to have respect. And the way you start off by having respect as a leader is by respecting yourself, okay? So the way you get respect from other people is respecting yourself. And if you're going through difficult times in your life and you're not looking after yourself properly, that's pretty obvious to people, okay? So you need to square that self. You need to square yourself away there. And that means probably like hitting the gym, maybe cutting down the beers, all that kind of stuff, eating healthily, standard stuff, you know what it is, get out of nature. Um, so people need to see an example, you setting an example. So set yourself that example. Uh, pretty much it guys I think I'll let you have a look here yeah so that's how you find your balance point then left to right of arc I'll do a podcast later on on bracketing when I get some time and um, but yeah congratulations young guy for getting into the air force embrace the opportunity and I would just say as well it's a very well written email um, so thank you for that it's very nicely laid out I can see exactly what you want from me hopefully I've given you that um, and I wish you all the best in Cranwell right I'm going to, I'm going to uh, go now. Uh, thank you very much for listening to my podcast. I do appreciate it. I'm not, notice I haven't got any ads on these podcasts, guys, but I, I do have to, unfortunately, somehow kind of make some revenue out of this because I've got a lot of kit. I'll tell you what I did the other day, in fact. Literally, hopefully, it's a couple of minutes and I'll let you go. I um, went into, into uh, Apple. Uh, I've got a Mac. I run a lot of this stuff through a Mac. And because I use Final Cut Pro and I use um, Logic and some other things, they're very resource intensive. My Mac's from like 2015 or whatever. So I went in there and said, I might need to buy a new Mac. £2,600. I couldn't believe that. You know, maybe maybe I've got it wrong a little bit, but I don't think my Mac cost that like five years ago, whatever. I think it was like 1200 quid. So, geez, you know, is that inflation? I don't know what that is. Anyway, so top tip. The guy said to me, don't get a new Mac. He said, uh, this guy's a legend, this young guy in the shop. He knew everything what he was talking about. I, I just went there and said, mate, I know nothing. Teach me your world. And he said, right, he said, here's what you do. He said, your wife and you have got Max. He says, yours is full. You've put your, I, what I did actually, I in the memory card slot, you can get a little uh, sleeve. I put a memory card in there to double the capacity of the Mac, which is pretty cool. But of course, you still have problems with um, uh, the main hard drive being full. That's because everything's kept on the main hard drive that I'm running through Final Cut Pro and everything else. So he said, what you need to do is get an iMac, which is cheaper. Square everything, square everything away in, I, in the iCloud, put it up in, in the sky, in the clouds, and then uh, bring your Mac in. We'll get that wiped clear for you. And then you just download what you want on the Mac. Seemed pretty reasonable, didn't it? So maybe I've saved you some money out there. Thank me later. But either way, what I'm trying to say is these things are expensive. I'm going to try and make um, something out of this so I can actually buy like microphones to take to people when I interview them and things like that. So as I said, I'm going to put some content on Patreon. 
Um, I'm not doing one-on-one coaching at the moment, guys. I'd much rather these went out to everyone uh, and I'm going to have two pay scales. And I, Tell me if you think this is a good or bad idea. Get on the Fast Ship Performance or whatever in, in the comments here and just tell me. But I'm going to do $12, I think, and $47. It's all in dollars. The $12 um, is really for content like this, but obviously a bit more stuff. And the I'll put loads of these on Facebook anyway, guys, because um, young people need to need to hear this stuff. And then the $47 is going to be, I'm going to run forums. Every month I'll do a couple of forums, which will be live, uh, which you jump into asking me any questions. I'll bring other people in here as well. I'll bring some of the Aerialist team in probably, and we'll deep dive into some of these issues and hopefully get some of you squared away into either joining or leaving the military. All right. Um, and I'm not saying leaving the military in, in disgust. I'm saying having a comfortable exit out of the military. I'm helping people do that a lot as well. Leadership slash management. Hopefully done. I'm going to go and do whatever I do this, rendering it and stuff, whack it on the, on YouTube and stick it on the podcast, all that kind of stuff, guys. Okay? Thanks so much. Much appreciated. Any comments, um, if you need to email me, tim at fastshipperformance.com. I answer everything. It's just taking me three and a half weeks at the moment. All right? Much appreciated. Thanks for your time.